Science and Wisdom Live is a project of Jamyang London Buddhist Center, a non-profit organization. Please consider supporting us with a donation to help us keep our podcasts and videos free and ad-free. To support us now, please visit our website at scienceandwisdomlive.com. episode is an excerpt of one of our Science and Wisdom Dialogues. To listen to the full recording, please follow the link in the podcast description. Near-death experiences don't necessarily tell us what happens after we're dead, but they certainly tell us something about what happens as we're dying. And in Buddhism, there's a whole branch of literature that discusses how your mind and your perception change as you move on to an intermediate state called the bardo. And there's other teachings in other traditions too. Could each of you tell us a little bit about what you think is happening as we're dying? Uh, what states and what emotions we pass through? In going through the experiences on retreat uh, uh, of dying, is that you go through the same stages that are described uh, in the Tibetan Buddhist literature, that, that you first you, you, you lose the corporeal consciousness um, you start losing weight, you, you actually start to dry. In other words, you start losing the water consciousness. Uh, and then um, certainly the, the fire comes, but then that averts itself to something to do with the mind. You get to a stage where you cannot think. You cease to think. You even forget your name. Uh, as you go through this experience, which we call fana. Um, and, and then that fire in us changes to light and that's all there is and so for us um it, it's just a question the process of dying is just letting go different bodies see? Uh, the gross body in buddhist terms subtle body very subtle body uh, as you as you become aware of each plane of consciousness your thinking changes your perception changes your sense of consciousness changes uh, and it brings us closer to the sense of, well, who am I then? See? What is I? And ultimately, there's just I. There is one, just one, and that's it. That's how we see that. According to Tibetan Buddhism, and there may be more detail in that particular literature than anything, any other literature we have in our world right now, um, that's when mental consciousness itself, the kind of consciousness with which we have perceived our own thoughts, perceived our own emotions, perceived um, memories, uh, inclinations, desires, and so on throughout our whole lives, that very mental consciousness ceases to function. And so, as you said, Nigel, the, uh, and I can say, I never actually had that experience in retreat of losing conceptuality in such a way that I didn't know who I was, or I know the the liminal space in which one sees how easy it would be to lose that. Um, but I think different, different retreat techniques actually lead to different experiences. And so, as I say, within the Vajrayana practices, it's almost more programmatized so that one maintains complete lucidity and a kind of a, I, I hate to use this word self-consciousness, but a distance from the process that there's the ability to know where one is in it and start over again 
and in the next session or at will. Um, but as, so as I'm saying in, in this moment, then when mental consciousness, the very capacity to conceptualize in the actual death process, of course, that will dissolve. Um, in very deep states of meditation, of course, that will dissolve. And then there are these subtler states of consciousness that it's like one is plunging, plunging, plunging to a whole other dimension of consciousness, which is free of conceptuality, it is free of individual identification, but it's not as though one's merging into everybody else's consciousness at that point. Certainly from a Tibetan Buddhist perspective, that's the point at which one is seeing the ground core conscious awareness that has been the ground of one's being all along. And so then if I shift into Christian terms, to me, this is, is like saying, if we understood theologically God to be the ground of being that enables every state of consciousness, every state of interaction with the material world to take place, um, then we are tru truly seeing the ground of our being. There would be the encounter with the divine ground. And then of course, depending on how one is live, has lived, that will be a drastically different experience depending on who one is coming into it. Uh, so that would then tie back to if as a society we could think and want to think more about these things, prepare, practice in such a way that it's the priority of our lives, then we could face that experience without fear, without regret, even with joy, even with anticipation of this is what I've been longing for my whole life. Mm. Yeah, and then Cynthia with your... How about your own, you have a lot of direct experience with people as they're dying. And also, you know, from the Christian perspective, how, what's your perspective on what's happening as we're dying? Yes, I appreciate my um, scientific partners and, and perspectives. And um, from a Christian perspective, of course, uh, Jesus Christ being the center of uh, our faith in, in terms of Christianity, um, Jesus talked about going to prepare a place for us. And uh, if we, he goes and prepare a place, well, he will come again and receive us unto himself. Um, and I ascribe to that because I believe that, uh, and based on my own experiences and, and studies, many years of uh, training in seminary and actually experiential, uh, even with my own family members uh, where I've been present, uh, I believe that consciousness um, actually, there is a transition of consciousness. Um, we've had opportunity to work very closely with uh, people that have uh, dementia and um, have um, mental uh, um, deterioration, if you will, um, and seeing people have uh, actually go into a, a period which many times is we refer to it as a burst of energy. Uh, I think there are various terminologies that speak to what happens when people get to that moment of death. Um, and many times people will sit up and um, I, Dr. Fenwick even referred to it. Uh, there's this renewed sense of clarity. Um, people sometimes recognize those loved ones that they couldn't uh, recognize prior. So I believe that there is an awakening of consciousness as we go through that process of transition. Um, and ultimately, um, people that believe 
uh, in God, believe in higher being, I believe, based on my readings and um, conversations with folks that have had near-death experiences, that as they many times refer to this type of tunnel that they go through, there is this opportunity to be met by light. Uh, and that light is always seems to be described as love and peace and um, this sense of wholeness, if you will. Um, and so I ascribe to that um, thinking, um, both um, through studies and my own studies in literature and experientially, uh, both professionally and personally. Um, there is um, really, I believe, um, that transition from what we would call death to life is really always a continuation in my mind of living. Uh, it's just at a higher consciousness. Mm -hmm. Now I'd like to ask each of you what happens after you die? <laughs> a difficult question. Um, you know, thinking about the differences between Buddhist, Christian, Sufi, atheist ways of dying. Um, do we constantly die and are we reborn? Is there a heaven? Um, can we get uploaded into virtual reality? Uh, it's obviously a, a question of great interest to people and, and in culture too. There's so many television programs, movies like, with fresh takes on this. So I'd love to hear each of you reflect a little bit on what happens after you die. Maybe to start with Cynthia, if you like. Thank you. I, I would uh, just continue um, on the line of thinking that as, as I was just sharing um, in what I have read and heard from people that have actually had near-death experiences. Um, and what, what I've continued to hear, there is some consistency in that transition process of feeling as though they're going through some type of tunnel or um, a, a, a dark place, if you will. Um, I think I've had the sense that some people find it very frightening. Others have found it not so frightening. So I think there's, uh, it speaks to the fact that we can experience emotion um, in that journey, if you will. But ultimately, being confronted with brilliant light. Um, I, I was just reflecting on some um, readings that I've had for many years uh, in the palliative care and hospice movement. Um, and one writer says, it's a love you'll never want to leave. Um, I, uh, my mother is an example. Uh, Nigel, I appreciate your sharing personal stories as it relates to your parents. My mom, uh, when we were very young children, I'm one of five, um, had a near-death experience and said that um, she was felt as though she was in God's presence. There was so much light and love, and there was a communication with her that uh, it's not your time. This is not your time. Um, and I never got the, the sense that this was um, um, related to any illness in particular, but it, it was almost like she felt she was dying in her sleep. But she was confronted with this, this sense of she felt that it was the Lord and love and light and says, it's not your time yet, but gave her the strong sense of purpose uh, in being uh, just and my mother is, is uh, living today at 91 years old, very sharp minded, uh, very continues to be very active. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I just reflect on the fact that that story she is still fueled by that experience uh, when she felt she left this earth, but was confronted and engaged uh, with her Lord. So I think that um, this near-death experience is one 
uh, that brings a renewed consciousness. I think a, a deeper spirituality for individuals, um, a renewed sense or even a new sense of meaning uh, for in life and probably a deeper sense of being connected to what it means to be fully alive and be more of a caring, loving, compassionate individual. When you shared with these questions with us earlier, I saw myself respond to the very phrasing of the question as though those who are Buddhist, Christian, Sufi, atheist, and so on would die differently. And I think this is a very sensitive question in our culture that oftentimes people think that what they believe about the things we don't really know about is going to make them be that way. And I think there's an extent to which, a great extent to which, the way we have thought and believed in our lifetimes will affect the way we experience the death process and what happens afterward, for sure, I've already said that. But it's not as though believing that, um, for example, in a materialist view, it's not as though believing that, well, I'm just matter, so when my brain is dead, then I cease to exist. If that's not true, it's not as though believing it would make it true. There is something, and I, this is fundamental to my own worldview, um, there's something about the nature of consciousness that is as basic to our reality as gravity or electromagnetic forces or any of the other things that we think of as laws of nature. And so just not believing in gravity won't, won't stop it from working. And I think, back to our first question, it would be extremely important to our culture to start to think about death and dying as something we have to find out because it's one of the most important things about reality we need to know. What does it mean for the spirit to dwell in us? And I think Cynthia and Nigel, as you both described these near-death experiences where there is a glory of light, a glory of encountering ultimate love, I would see that as a sign that that is a person who has been living with that spirit, with that divine spirit of love throughout their lives, maybe more or less veiled, um, but in such a way that when an opening comes, then they can recognize, they can meet the Lord in, in very Christian terms. Um, in Buddhist terms, that would be described more as the purity of a mind that's able to recognize those states of death without fear. Um, and with virtue that is propelling them toward a more positive uh, rebirth. But of course, at very, very advanced stages of the path, that could be the doorway to enlightenment itself. Um, I think I'll stop there without going into more, of, more details on so many layers. But I, I, maybe the, the main point that I'm trying to say is, if we can see resurrection in a Christian sense as something that is a fundamental transformation of the consciousness, the mind, and with that, the kind of bodies we will have. St. Paul goes into great detail on what is this spiritual body and then the tradition after him. What is the nature of a spiritual body as opposed to the natural body that we had in, in this life that was so dragged down by passions, mental afflictions, sin, and so on. What would the infinite opening to a new kind of life, a new kind of body, a new kind of mind that could happen when we have devoted ourselves to some kind of high path of purification during our lives. 
Uh, well, this is a huge question. Uh, so I, I'll try to be a, as brief as possible. I'll start with a, a story, it's a very simple story, Sufi story. Uh, once upon a time, uh, someone came to a Sufi dervish and said, well, you know what it's like uh, <laughs> to die. Uh, what, 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 um, what happens, you know, what's heaven like? So the dervish said, well, come into this room here and just sit there for an hour. And the man went in to sit in the room and came out after an hour and the man said, I didn't experience anything. So the Sufi said, well, go to this other room and uh, see what you experienced there. Uh, and so the man went to the other room and um, this is supposed to be hell. And he sat there for an hour and came out. He said, look, I'm sorry, I, I didn't experience anything. And so how come people talk about heaven and hell? So the dervish said, well, those are things that you have to take with you. Hmm. In other words, we create our own lives, which we see, of course, phenomenologically in our dreams. Hmm. We see actually, uh, like in looking into a mirror, what kind of mental world or mind world we are creating. You see, those inner worlds are not that different from this world. You know, it's not that you know the trees, the mountains, the lakes. Uh, people and so on, <clears throat> schools of thought, places of worship are, are much the same uh, in the next world and the worlds to come. That um, it's just that they are more subtle. Mm. They're not so concrete. See? Uh, and that uh, you then you begin to realize, well, what's real then? Because if it's not substantial, then what is real? What, is there anything substantial? No, there isn't. See. That's the ultimate realization. Uh, and that's when you experience the final death, which is they call, the Sufis call the, the, uh, the black light, which is the unseen light. It's, it's symbolized in Christianity by the Black Madonna. Uh, she symbolizes that experience where, where, where initially you are, you can't think, everything goes, all the lights go out, and then comes the moment of resurrection where you suddenly realize uh, you are in uh, an uncreated world, a world that you have not, you're no longer creating, you're participating in it. So, and then that's not the end, because it, 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 of course, as everyone says, it has to go to the sense of total union, uh, and that it means there's a death of any sense of individuality so, mm. so that's how the sufis see that so that's that tunnel of light that we all go through or tunnel of darkness we all go through you don't see all the stages you're going through it seems to happen very quickly but uh, i believe um, uh, if one does it slowly you s s slow down the experience you would see stage by stage of the different realities of the different heavens, the different hells, okay. which of course we all create. So. Mm.